Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we'll read just a few verses. Matthew chapter 16. And we'll read verse 24 through verse 26. Now I have a couple of other verses I'm going to read after that, and I marked one of those instead. So let me find Matthew 16. All right, once you've found your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word. And we'll have prayer and then begin reading in verse 24. You'll find your place. Down through verse 26. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. Thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you today for the privilege to gather together with friends and family members, Lord, and just a good church family. Just here to fellowship, to lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, how we love you. Thank you for loving us. And we thank you now for your precious word. We just ask, Lord, that you be our teacher and guide through the scriptures, dear Holy Spirit. Would you just bring to our mind, impress upon our hearts those things that you'd have us to know, to learn, and to do. And Lord, we need your guidance in that way today. We pray you'll just make the message plain and personal to us that we might use it to grow thereby. Lord, how we just invite you to do your work among us. We pray you just fill this place with your presence. Lord, with, uh, with your love and your, your direction. Lord, give us what we need today. We pray just feed us from your word now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus, or then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Great questions, aren't they? I want to preach a message this morning I've entitled, The Definition of a Disciple. The Definition of a Disciple. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And uh, as we're seated, I just want to invite you, you may hold your place there. But turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. These words of the Lord Jesus are recorded... In Mark 8, and then also in Luke, and I want to read both of these passages together as we, as we consider the Lord's admonition here. Mark 8, verses 34 and 35, it says here, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever shall come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And then he does ask those questions again in verse 36 and 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? All right, so turn with me then to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 in verse 23.
Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? All right? Powerful scripture, isn't it? The reason I wanted to read each one of those versions is because if you noticed in Matthew's version, Mark's version, and Luke's version, each one just seems to throw in an extra word or a different word. And it just sheds a little bit more light on what the Lord is, is really saying here in this passage. Now, if you read the context of this story, you'll see that these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples after he revealed to them that he would go to the cross, die there, and then rise again the third day. When Peter heard this, he could not believe it. It was his response when he said, not so, Lord, no, 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 no. That's what prompted Jesus to give this admonition and to say these things to his disciples. The essence of his teaching is that when we lose our life in service to the Lord, we gain instead of lose. Missionary Jim Elliott once said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Powerful words. In these verses, Jesus gave us the definition of a disciple. He was challenging and yet encouraging those who were following him to take that next step, to enter that next level of discipleship, to be what we have called in the past a true follower of Jesus, a disciple which is a student learner of the Lord himself, one who lives out the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives us these words. We find in our text, as we, as we read this powerful passage of Scripture, in Matthew 16, look at verse 24, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This, this three-prong admonition here. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Notice in another passage, he said, and the Gospels. And then in verse 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 26 is a great verse because it puts on the scales, if you would, values. And it makes us consider... As humans, what do we put value in the most? And that's really what's at stake. How do we consider these things and, and what are we going to put on the scales and, and what are we going to hold dear? You see, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, you have to be a Christian who has victory over idolatry. Now, it's interesting that I use that word idolatry because I know probably the first thing that's coming to your mind is, well, pastor, I'm long past that. I mean, hey, I, I, I don't bow to statues and things of that nature. Uh, I, maybe you've never done that. Hey, that's great. 
But I want to challenge you a little further this morning because really idolatry takes many forms. And I think in its most elementary form, we would find those that we would consider unbelievers or maybe, maybe that would be called heathen, those who bow to, to, to idols, maybe of wood and stone and other things. But I want you to consider the full realm of idolatry this morning with me as we, as we contemplate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because first of all, idolatry is putting something other than God in a place of priority or preeminence in your life. Now, I don't know about you, that, that is a startling definition. It, it, it causes you to step back and just pause. It should cause you to take a, take a gander at your life and just reflect for a moment to make sure not only are there no statues that you're bowing down to, but what do you really hold as a priority? What really is number one to you? We have to consider it, do we not? Look at Exodus chapter 20 with me this morning, if you would. The second book of the Bible, Genesis, and then Exodus. Go to chapter number 20. And we're going to find the Ten Commandments listed in this chapter. Now, we don't need to look at all of them. But we do need to understand, especially if you are not a believer and don't know the Lord as your Savior, you, you certainly need to understand that the commandments are a package deal. James in the New Testament gave us this explanation and reminded us that it's true. You either keep all ten or you've kept none. There's no six out of ten, eight out of ten, seven out of ten kind of thing. You either keep the commandments or you do not. And if that is the case, and it certainly is, that's what the Bible teaches, then none of us have kept the commandments. If that was your hope of getting to heaven, you're going to have to find something else. Because the Word of God tells us that the Old Testament law was nothing but a schoolmaster, an instructor, if you will, to help us come to realize that what we really need is a Savior, and that was Jesus Christ. And so the law serves as that purpose, to show us our sinfulness, that we might recognize our need of a Savior and come to Jesus. The Ten Commandments were never given as a list, that if you might keep all of them, you would be good enough to go to heaven. But I believe God in His wisdom gave us the Ten Commandments so that we would recognize our need. He gave that so the children of Israel would recognize their need. Embedded in this Ten Commandments list, look with me, if you will, at verses 3 through 5. Look what God said. And by the way, these are still, these are repeated in the New Testament. God still holds to this. So look what the Bible says in Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The word before gives us the idea that God wants to be first. He wants to be number one. Not one of, but one and only. Number one. So he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse four, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. All right, so here's God introducing himself in this way and talking about his place in the life of a believer. And he said, I am to have first place. There should be no other gods before me. So recognize that if we are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, that God has to be first in our life, and that we have to have victory over idolatry, which is simply putting something or someone else in the place, first place, in the place that God himself ought to occupy in our life. How about that? Has there ever been a time when you loved something more than you loved the Lord? Has there ever been a time when you served something or someone more than you served the Lord or instead of serving the Lord? Has there ever been a time when we've put something in that place of priority where God should have been? I don't know about you, but when I consider that, I I recognize immediately that I've done that. And I think because, because of how we're wired and how we're geared, especially in America, I believe that we, we, it's possible that we do that without even realizing it, without even thinking about it. And it really takes, it takes time, it takes effort, doesn't it, to stop and consider, have we replaced the Lord with something else? Is there anything that we're more dedicated to, more loyal to than the Lord? Don't you think that would fit into the description of idolatry, even though it may not be a statue carved of wood or stone? Think about that. Putting something other than God in the place of priority in your life. If our lives were like a table that is set, God should be the centerpiece. He should be put on display. He should be what catches the eye of those who look on. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I feel like, boy, I've sure fallen short of that. Lord, help us. Jesus is gathering his disciples and all those would-be followers on that day, and he said, let me tell you. Let me tell you what a disciple is. It's a Christian who has victory over idolatry. That's why he said you have to deny yourself. You know, I think sometimes we don't even realize it, but, but we really do, don't we? we? We put ourselves in that place that God should hold in our hearts. The world teaches it. The world encourages it. The world says, hey, look out for number one. Oh, that's God. That's not what they mean. When they say look out for number one, they mean themselves. They mean you, yourself. Look out for number one. That's me. They say toot your horn because nobody else is going to do it. Wow. The Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. Mm. It says a faithful man who can find. Brethren, let us be careful lest we fall into the world's ways and put ourselves in the place that should belong to the Lord. First place. What does the Bible say? 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God wants to be first in your life. If you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, he has to be first. But not only that, idolatry, it's not just putting something in the place of God. It could be that, or it could be this. Idolatry could be worshiping the works of men's hands. Maybe you need to see this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. In the book of Isaiah chapter 2, we find in verse 7 and 8, the Bible says there this, these words, Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is, any, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. Watch this. They worship the work of of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. Did you, see, did you see the definition of an idol right there? The work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. Look, you know, we typically think an idol, well, that's one of them, that's one of them little statues of a false god somewhere, right? Well, Isaiah said, It might be when you worship the work of your own hands. Isn't that what Cain did? You know, Abel brought the correct sacrifice, the one God required. He put his faith in God's word. He did what God said. Abel was obedient to the faith, and he brought that that animal for a blood sacrifice because that's a picture of what Jesus was going to do. It's the blood that takes away sins. Cain, on the other hand, worshipped the works of his own hands. And the Bible says he, he brought of the, of the firstlings of his crops and the fruit of the field. And he brought that and he presented it to God like a lot of people do. Lord, here's my best. What do you think of that? And the Bible says God rejected it. God didn't reject it because it was coming from Cain instead of Abel. God didn't didn't have a a prejudice toward Abel. Abel wasn't his favorite, and that's why he accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the right kind. And God rejected Cain's because it was the wrong kind. In pride, Cain brought the fruit of his own hands. And as I began to think about this definition that Isaiah gave of an idol. I thought, how many of us, maybe it's not a crop. Maybe it's a business that we've built. Maybe it's a reputation for ourselves. But it's the work of our own hands. How many of us worship that more than we worship God? Think about that. It says, that which their own fingers have made. I think we as humans, we can... We can fall into that very easily, couldn't we? Man, if we're not careful, this description of idolatry could be us. We could be guilty of not putting God first, but putting ourselves first and the things we've built, the things we've created, the things we've made. We could be worshiping that instead of worshiping the Lord. Oh, how foolish that would be. 
And you know what that would mean? That would mean, friends, hey, we're not a disciple at all when we're found in that state. I'm glad the Lord gives us some clarity here so that we, tr- we might truly examine ourselves and who we are and who we ought to be. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Now we start to understand a little bit of what that means. To put ourselves in the back. And to put Jesus, to put God in the front. To worship and serve Him. To hold what, who He is and what He does more dear than who we are and what we've done. That's a powerful truth. You see, the word worship means to ascribe worth. And I want to challenge your idea of idolatry this morning because I believe there are times when we have ascribed more worth to our work than we have to His. When we don't hold God's work in high esteem, when we don't value it above ours, that's a form of idolatry. We look down at the heathen and say, how could they worship a statue? Bow down to that golden calf. Don't they know? How hypocritical of us. We've not yet looked in the mirror to realize how we are bowing down to images of our own. Though they may not be carved of wood and stone or overlaid with gold. Maybe it's the work of our hands. Maybe it's the image of our reputation or, or, or the name of the business that we've built for ourselves. We ascribe more worth to our work than His. Shame on us. We're not disciples. We're not following Jesus when we promote self above the Savior? If we're disciples of anything, it would be disciples of ourselves. Am I right? Lord, help us. What a definition of a disciple, a Christian who has victory over idolatry. Jesus said, deny himself. But he also said this, A disciple is a Christian who has victory over identity. He didn't just say deny yourself. If we go back to our text in Matthew 16, in verse 24, he says, If a man will come after me, let him deny himself. And then he said, and take up his cross. We have to have victory over identity. Taking up your cross, in a very real sense, could again reiterate the idea of dying to self, not just what you do and have done, but who you are. You know, some of us are real big about who we are. But if you're bigger about who you are than who Jesus is, then brother, you have a problem. And the problem is you're not being a disciple when you think like that. That's why the Bible says that a man ought not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, Romans 12, 3. And and we need God's help with this idea of identity and understanding who we are in Christ. We need to be willing, if we're following the Lord Jesus, to take up the cross and, and, and to die to self 
It's about who we are. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 4, if you'd like to turn there or just write the reference down, Paul was writing here uh, to the church at Colossae, and he said, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also shall appear with him in glory. And he just made that side comment that Christ is our life. I don't know about you, but when I see the Apostle Paul, it's real easy for me to believe that Christ was his, his very life. That's what he lived for. That's, that's, that's what he yearned for. That's what he longed for. That's what he served for. And that's what he often almost died for was Jesus Christ. When you think of Paul, you have to think of Jesus. He gave his all. Hey, I want to ask you a question. What do people think of when they think of you? Football? NASCAR? Hunting? Golf? Here we go. I know you're saying, preacher, you done quit preaching and went to meddling right here. <laughs> but you know, isn't it? These are God's words. God's the one meddling in our business when he's, when he's stirring us up to realize that, hey, if we're more passionate about all of those things than we are about who Jesus is, then maybe we need to take a look in the mirror. A true disciple is one that's willing to take up his cross. A true disciple is one who needs to make Jesus his life. That's why I believe in another place Paul said, I die daily. Why daily, Paul? Because, you know, this thing, this, this thing we call the flesh, self, if you will, self, you can die to that today, but you're going to find out it resurrects tomorrow. And boy, does it come back to get all up in your business again. Oh, and you got to go back again to the cross and you got to die to that self. Right? And you got to do it again and again and again. It just don't want to stay dead, does it? Die to self and live for Christ. Hey, this is the reason why John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. It's really the, the, the life verse of all of us who want to be a real disciple and follow and serve Jesus. We ought to be much about the business of making much of Jesus and much less of ourselves. Being a disciple doesn't mean that we never think about ourselves. It just means that we think less about ourselves. That we get down into a realistic portion. It doesn't mean that we ignore ourselves or our needs. Jesus said we're to pray for our needs, our daily bread even. But we're not to be first. We're to understand our place. Someone once said, if you want to have joy, it's Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Well, that's kind of a good way to put it. How are we doing this morning? Identity is who we are and what we're about. Paul said, Christ is our life. How about you? Identity is founded upon what is valued or what is most valuable to us. What is most valuable to you? There are different answers to that question. And that reflects the different things that people believe or, or hold dear in their life. We were challenged by our missionary friend this Wednesday night. If you were here, you heard him ask this question. He said, hey, I want to ask you a question. He said, would you... 
Would you sell your house and go live in a grass hut in Africa? Now, I understand. If you're not a missionary, you'd, you'd probably say, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I want to do that. But I think what Jesus is trying to teach us is that every true disciple should say, if that's what God wants me to do, I'll do it. Why? Because we value Him most. Amen? I'm not trying to call you to Africa this morning. I myself don't have a call to go. But I do believe, and I have, when the Lord has led, I packed up and went. Hope and I built our dream home in Georgia. And it's still there. (laughs) Somebody else is living in it. Because when God called, we said, yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. That's what you want. That was a hard thing. That was hard. Let me tell you, that was hard. It was so hard that I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go somewhere else and pastor somewhere else, I'll tell you what, Lord, I need something. I need help. I've never asked for this before, but I said, Lord, I need a 100% vote if I'm going to do this. I just want to know that, that this is what you want. Do you know how rare that is? That's kind of rare, like, like very rare. So when we got that phone call, and before I could even get it out of my mouth, what was the percentage? They said, you were called 100%. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right, Lord, all right, that, you answered that. All right. But where God guides, God provides, God's taking care of us. Hey, I, I, I have no complaints tonight. Sure, in my flesh, we get disappointed about things like that, but I'm telling you what, there's no home on this planet that's worth anything compared to what God has for us in eternity. And by the way, if you keep reading this text, notice what Jesus said in verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. Woohoo! Hey, did you know the Bible says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them. Oh, oh, listen. Is it worth it trading an earthly home for a heavenly home? Man, you better believe it. There's no comparison. Even Paul said the things that we suffer now are not to be compared to the things that are coming. Oh, listen. It's worth it to serve God. It's worth it to put Him first. And Paul took all the credentials of his life, all the accomplishments, and said, I'm throwing it all in the trash. He said, I I count it but dung. Why? He said, that I may win Christ, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Think about that. You know, we say we want to be close to God. We say we want to pick up the Bible to have God meet with us there. We say we want to sing the hymns and feel the Holy Spirit stir in our hearts. Okay, friends. Are we willing to put God first? Are we willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Are we willing to hold him dear and and the things that his work in higher esteem than ours? Are we willing to put him first, truly first? Those are the things that test our commitment. Lastly, a Christian 
A disciple is a Christian who has victory over idleness. Idleness. Well, I know in our world it's hard for anybody to be idle. There is so much to do, it seems like, right? I mean the idleness of just not being involved in the Lord's work. Because Jesus said if you're going to be a disciple, there's three things you've got to do. Number one, you've got to deny yourself. That's where we touched on that idolatry thing. Number two, you've got to take up your cross. That's identity. And number three, he said, you've got to follow me. That's why, that's why we talk about idleness. What are you doing for the Lord? Are you following him? Are you serving him? Are you living for him? Matthew 24 um, wow, I have a little discrepancy here, and I'm not sure which one is correct, so let's just go there. Matthew 24, and there I wrote down two different verses. Okay, must be this one. All right, Matthew 24, verse 46 says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing, busy about the master's work. You know, that's what I want. When the Lord comes back, I want him to find me busy doing his work. Don't you? Hey, friend, if you've watched the news anytime soon, you know that uh, we, are, we, we could be very close. You know, all the time in my years growing in Christ and, and learning the faith and all of that, every time I've heard a message on prophecy and end-time events and all of these things, I've always thought, yeah, that's great. And hey, I see the resemblances, right? Like, like yeah, that's close. But not, maybe not in our lifetime. Like, not right now. But here lately, the things that I'm hearing are happening. The things they're planning to do. The technology that they're putting into place right now. I'm thinking, wow, you know what? That's now. For the first time in my Christian life, I'm looking at prophetic events and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that could happen soon. Hey, you know what? The stage is already set. Now the technology is in place. Wow. Jesus could come back really soon. Not only in our lifetime. He could come back before the end of the year. He could come back next year. I mean, it could be that soon. Because it wouldn't take very much for this technology that's, that's being assembled now in place. It wouldn't take very much for it to be implemented. And when it is, we would be there. We would be at the moment the scriptures describe for the rapture to occur. Oh, it could happen in a moment, friends. And that's never been more real in my lifetime than right now, the days in which we live. Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. So if you're not busy in the Lord's work, I'm going to encourage you to get busy because this could be the time. The Lord's coming is soon. Look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. In Matthew 4, we have the temptation of Christ, and the devil tempted him, uh, you know, to worship himself. Bow down and worship me. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth and all this stuff. Look what Jesus said in verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, does it say him only or him also? Only. But if you're not careful, if you haven't worked on these things we've been talking about, you're going to be an also Christian. 
and not an only Christian. God doesn't want to be one among many of the things you worship. He wants to be the one and only that you worship. It's a powerful truth, but it's one we have to reflect and think about. Are we really doing that? Matthew 6, verse uh, 16, excuse me, verse 25, back to our text. We find there, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know, we think that when we give up our life to serve the Lord, well, so much for that, that's over. We, we think it's going to be some great loss. You see what Jesus said? He said, no, no, no. He said, when you give up your life to follow me, he said, that's when you find it. Not when you lose it, it's when you find it. Serving God gives you more purpose than you can imagine. Serving God and, and building his kingdom, it, look, it's much better. It's more fulfilling than building your kingdom. Our kingdoms are temporary, and whatever you do for self and this world, it's not going to last. It's only temporary. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us what's going to happen to this world. It's all going to burn up one day. It's going to be gone. It'll be firewood. You're going to give your whole life for that? Or you can give your whole life to God and have treasure in heaven and eternal life Have you ever wondered what are they doing in heaven? And what are we going to do in the future? All of that is going to be determined by what you did down here. Remember the parable of the talents? And he gave one, five, and one, two, and he gave one, one talent. And they invested their talent, they used their talents, right? And, the, and they got increased, except for the guy with one, he just didn't do anything. And you remember God called him a wicked servant because he did nothing. But the other two, they used theirs and they had increase. And then he said, right, basically because you have much, you've invested, you, 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 did, you, you, know, you created something, you served, you, you gained, right? Not only did he say enter thou into the joy of the Lord, but, but guess what? He gave them belongings he gave them responsibility based on how they served with the talents he gave them and that's an illustration for us that's how it's going to be in heaven if you're like the wicked servant that did nothing down here we we think you're going to rule cities in heaven one day no the bible says he that is faithful and that which is least is faithful also in much but if we're not faithful in the, in the little things of this life, and if we're not faithful with the opportunities we have down here, we, we think God's going to give us great things in heaven? No. When you lose your life in Jesus, you find it. And you find there's more value, there's more fulfillment, there's more substance than anything outside of that. Serving God is real. Living the Christian life is worth it. It's very powerful and will be rewarded one day. No wonder Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, and I close with this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. What a powerful verse. You know, that really should be the life verse of every disciple. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We serve out of love and appreciation, not out of duty and rigor and obligation. That's what Jesus said. And he who loves much is he who was forgiven much. Let's remember what Jesus did for us. And then out of love, let's put him in his rightful place in our life. Let's serve the Lord like a true disciple should. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you for, your, uh, for the word of God and for the good admonition <clears throat> that you've given to us. Lord, help us today. Help us to be the disciples we envision ourselves being. Help us, Lord, to have clarity of mind and heart that we might truly see where we stand and how, Lord, we implement these, these thoughts and these practices this morning. May we ever grow and, and love you, and Lord, may we ever learn to follow you more closely that we too might say, as Paul did, I am crucified with Christ. Lord, what a great day it's going to be when we see you again. And when we serve you, Lord, it magnifies that day. So help us. Be mindful of these things. Do your work in our lives. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.